Welcome to Your New Life Blend. I'm Shoshana Hecht, and I'm delighted to welcome Joe Piazza to the podcast today. Joe is a wildly prolific journalist, author, and now podcast host and creator whose work covers culture and subculture, love, relationships, sex, marriage, motherhood, friendship, gender politics, race relations, the celebrity industrial complex, and nuns. That is an incomplete list. You have very likely seen Joe's byline across New York and national media over the past two decades, including the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, CNN, Marie Claire, Glamour, both the New York Post and the New York Daily News, and as the best-selling author of 12 books across both fiction and nonfiction. She's also the creator and host of the podcast Under the Influence about motherhood influencer culture, which just kicked off a new season, plus her newsletter, Over the Influence. Her new novel, The Sicilian Inheritance, comes out early next year, now available for pre-order, and tackles a murder mystery in her own family. This is as short a bio as is possible for Joe Piazza, so I'm grateful to have her here today to expand on all of it in person with her signature humor and insight. Joe, thank you for being here. Welcome to your new life blend. Thank you for having me. Oh my God, that was so good. I want you to introduce me everywhere I go. Can you just go to school drop off with me and be like, this is Joe Piazza and say these things. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Because I feel like the rest of the moms are looking at me in my pajamas and they're like, that woman does not have her shit together. Oh, but they do not know. They do not know. I'm like a superhero. I'm in disguise all the time. It's true, Joe. It is. It's true. Yeah. I mean, I could jump into like a lot of things right there, but let's start before we get into the Sicilian inheritance, which I'm really excited to talk about. It's 12 books that cover a career that's covered a huge amount of ground. I really feel like a long career in media does require a nimbleness, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So give us the overview and like how all the roads have led to this moment and this project that you're working on? Yeah, I mean, I think a long career in anything now requires a nimbleness. I genuinely believe that we're all just constantly having to reinvent ourselves. I've been having to reinvent myself over and over again in media. When I first started as a journalist, I genuinely thought that I would just work in a newspaper for my entire career or at a magazine. That would be my trajectory. I would stay in one place for 20 years. And instead, in the past 20 years, I've had more than 20 different kinds of jobs. I've switched media platforms over and over from print to digital to social to podcasts to books to everything in between and everything that's a hybrid of that. And it's fun and interesting, but it is also terrifying because you really never know what's going to happen next. And so I feel very grateful that I've been able to navigate this. But at the same time, part of me does long for a kind of days of media past where you could just have the same job for 20 years. I think you're right about that fair point about most careers you have to have a nimbleness because I'm a Gen Xer and my parents had the same career for my mom still works. My mom was a teacher for 40 years. My dad was never anything but a claims attorney. And I feel like I've been so many different things. And even now where I feel like I'm probably doing really well with books and podcasts, I still don't feel entirely secure in this world. And I think that we all have that underlying job insecurity just because of the world we live in. 
things changing really, really fast with technology and narratives and all that. And I also feel like, I mean, I've followed you long enough now. It's so fun. You're very fun, Paula. But I feel like you're one of the people, you just sort of have like your finger out, like where the wind is going. You're kind of one of those people who seems to be several steps ahead. I don't know if you feel that way, but that's how I perceive you. Like, how does she know? <laughs> well, I mean, I do think that part of me is a Sicilian witch, I have to say. <laughs> I like genuinely, and we'll get into that. Yeah. But I genuinely believe that I have like some of this Sicilian witchiness and also fear. I mean, I just like, I think that I, I live in a constant state of terror about what will happen next. And so I'm trying to predict the future to figure out where to go. Yeah, I'm just like thinking about the double-edged sword of like fear and witchiness. Fear and witchiness would be a great name for like a lady cover band that only covers the Indigo Girls, maybe. I don't know. The Indigo Girls, maybe a little pink, I feel Mm -hmm. like. Mm -hmm. I I don't know. Something in there. Okay. All right. So because when you said like, I have to be and it's, I forget the word you, but also like maybe a little bit like at a necessity, you're constantly evolving at a necessity. Exhausting. Right. It's exhausting. And that actually reminds me of something that someone said to me this week. I I was talking to someone about promoting my book and doing all this work. And they were like, oh, well, but you don't write just to hit the bestseller list. You write because you love it. And I kind of wanted to respond. Would you say to an accountant, you don't crunch numbers for tax season out of a necessity to feed your family? You crunch numbers for tax season because you love it? Yes, I love writing, but it is also my job. And part of my job is to make sure my books sell well. So yes, I love writing. I also love paying my mortgage. But I think that people assume that writers have to do this out of a passion and that they don't necessarily deserve to be compensated in the same way that other careers would compensate or that you have to just be happy and love, love, love it all the time. Like the whole idea of the starving artist. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And especially for women, I am one of two breadwinners in our family. You know, we equally share the burden. We have three children. Like it is a necessity that I make money through my writing. And so I think that's where the terror comes in, because as things constantly change, I have to constantly reinvent my career. I just launched the Substack over the influence. I just took back my podcast under the influence from iHeartRadio because they weren't doing what I wanted to do with it. And now I'm completely independent. And that is also terrifying. But what else do you do besides constantly pivot? I've seen that sort of, I don't know if I would call it a debate, but I have seen both those arguments from writers. If you don't love this, don't do it, right? I love what I do. I'm a coach, formerly a therapist. And in both iterations, I've had many iterations of a career, but like those have been the big chunks of my big arcs of my career. I do love it. I get a lot of joy and satisfaction out of helping people thrive. And it's still work. It's still work. Exactly. I do think that there's an attitude about writing work, and especially women's writing work, that it should just be a joy all the time. And you can never have a complaint. And if you're complaining, you're doing something wrong, right? And it's exactly. a referendum exactly. on like, your, your life choices and all that. And I think there's so much that's really reasonable and appropriate and fair about what you're saying. I don't need to validate. I mean, I'm validating you, but you don't need it. <laughs> you're not like our parents where you knew that there was going to be a paycheck, even if you didn't have a deliverable or if you didn't take back your podcast and that just languished on the iHeart vine, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. You, you do have to take some control and be the CEO. You have to be the CEO. I 
I feel like I'm stepping into the role of CEO of my brand for the first time, which in some ways has made me a selling monster. And I don't know how I feel about that because, again, artists aren't supposed to be the ones that sell themselves. I'm figuring it out and I'm making mistakes and chatting through it as I move along. I think you do a great job of it, actually. I've been following you a long time and I enjoy the storytelling you do. And I also think, yeah, you have to sell. There's lots of reasons why you have to promote your stuff. I feel like a lot of your work is directed toward women, right? Yes. And so if there is any common thread to what I have written over the past 20 years, it is to write about brave, fearless women and try to tell stories of women that we have not heard or seen before. It's funny because I have genre jumped a lot with my books. I've written fiction and nonfiction. I've written really poppy commercial women's fiction. I've written intense, still commercial fiction about social justice issues. I've written nonfiction about nuns and nonfiction about the economics of celebrities. And my first agent freaking hated it. Okay. Mm. Like she's like, you have to pick one lane and swim in that. And I don't want to. I genuinely believe that readers will come to you if they enjoy your work. I've been doing this now. I've been able to keep doing it. And I do think the common thread is that I want to write about brave, badass women in the world. And that does link all of these projects. I guess there's not like a section of the bookstore that just says brave, badass women in the world. Maybe there should be. There should be. Exactly. I'm with you, though. I have abandoned writers that I love and I have read something that I love, but I'm like, why not? what this is going to be. It's going to be the same. It's going to be the same. Whereas you're very just distinctly not that. I love your voice and I love your writing. And there is such a range. That's what kind of makes it fun. Like, was that early on an intentional choice? Because I do think that's like a through line if I look back. I would love to say, yes, this was an intentional choice. No, it wasn't at all. I just kept following. When I was reporting, I followed the stories that interested me. And when I started writing fiction, I would write about the things that I was seeing happen in the world. With the knockoff, I was seeing so many traditional magazines turn into tech companies. But this was still before a lot of the magazines became an app. Again, I'm a Sicilian witch. And I told you, you had like your finger in the wind like where's it blowing let's go but i wanted to write about that massive shift from print media to digital but in a really fun poppy kind of way and same with fitness junkie which took on the wellness culture again i like had this like throwaway satirical line in there about people drinking camel milk and then when the book came out all of a sudden i saw that people were actually drinking camel milk to increase their brain function or something the only thing i'm really woo woo about is that i do believe that stories find you they they come to you and you kind of grab onto them and you start working on them or they go to someone else. And I think Elizabeth Gilbert wrote something similar in Big Magic. But I do truly believe that is the case. I feel like there's some connection that I want to make between you're wanting to write about brave, fearless women, that being a driver, that being a through line, and like the promotion side of this business and what it means to be like, oh, women aren't supposed to be getting paid for their work or you're not supposed to be out there braggy or promoting or whatever. And I think, oh, maybe we can slap that, dispel that. I don't know. There's some connection there. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that we can definitely dispel that. I genuinely think that women are not supposed to be the ones constantly. We're not supposed to be out there promoting and shouting from the rooftops about ourselves and about our work. 
and we're not supposed to say, yes, of course, I want to make money off of this thing. Yeah, I love it and I want readers to read it, but I do have to make money. So those things are tough when you're an author and you're also an author who has a podcast completely shitting on social media all the time and saying, I can't stand social media. I really wish I could get off it. And then having no choice but to be on social media to promote your projects. You feel like a massive fraud and a sham. And I admit that to my audience all the time. I'm like, sorry, not sorry. Please buy my book. It's funny. It's not how I see your podcast shitting on social media. Oh, that's so funny. I mean, I, I don't totally see it as shitting on social media either. But, you know, there are a lot of episodes where I say, hey, we have to get off of this. Hey, like, we have to dissect this and not be under the influence all of the time, which I truly believe because I do think that social media, while it is good in a lot of ways, is also exhausting us and giving us a tremendous amount of anxiety. I think that's right. And I guess where the line that I walk up to with that is, and I think this is what I feel like you talk about a lot, maybe not in this way, which is discernment, right? How do you see the good in it versus the problem? You expose a lot of the problematic things that we're seeing and grapple with your relationship with it, with your list, with your whoever's on with you or whatever, and, and with us, the listeners. Well, and it's also how do we have agency over what we're consuming? Because these devices and these platforms are made to be addicting. And so I think that eventually they will all come with a warning label, the same as booze and tobacco does. But we have to realize our relationship with alcohol or, you know, I guess no one really smokes anymore. And I think vaping is dumb. I don't know. Actually, I was just in Europe where everyone still smokes and it was amazing. And it was the first time that I've been in Europe and I didn't want to smoke. And that I guess that's a weird turning point. I guess my body was just like, you're going to feel really like extra shitty in the morning. This is not your time anymore. It's not your time. You were able to connect the dots to like future you versus in the moment you of like, yeah. No, because I used to be, I mean, I quit smoking like in my 30s, but when I would have like one too many drinks and be like, oh, let's go bum a cigarette off someone on the street. And this was the first time that people around me were smoking and I was like, Mm-mm, get me out of here. I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah. Amazing mm-hmm. how that happened. Weird. I think it's I think it's a sign of old age is what I think. Like that, that or made maturity. me feel. Or maturity. Sure. sure. <laughs> we can call it that. Yeah. Or wisdom. I'm wisdom. wisdom. Sure. Okay. Let's talk about the new book because I definitely want to. Sicily is one of my favorite places I've ever been. So good. It's been a long time since I was there, but it was, it's, it's beautiful. Tell us the background, the experience, why now and what's important about it. That's so many questions. Go ahead. Yeah. No. So The Sicilian Inheritance is my new novel. It's available for pre-order now. I think it's the best thing that I've ever written solo. I love this book so much that I wrote the entire thing before I even put it out into the world. And that's a big deal for me because I have been selling books on spec on 100 pages for the past 10 years. And this project meant so much to me that I wanted it to be all mine before I put it out there and before I sold it to an editor. It is really at its heart. And this is a lot of my friends have been telling me they want to read things that are fun right now, that still that make them feel something, that make them feel smarter. But like they just want to have a good time reading a book. And The Sicilian Inheritance is about a woman who goes on an adventure. It is about a woman in America who finds out that she may own a piece of land over in Sicily. She goes over there, discovers that her great grandmother who left the land may have been murdered in 
in Sicily a hundred years ago, and she has to solve this murder in order to sell the land and get the money she desperately needs. There's a dual timeline of her great-grandmother, Serafina, a hundred years earlier, who is just trying to make it on her own when her husband goes to America to make his fortune in Sicily. And so you just have these two beautiful stories of women finding agency in their life for the first time and navigating what it means to have a new kind of freedom. But it's also just a romp through Sicily with delicious food and wine and some sexy dudes and some like pretty okay sex and and not like Colleen Hoover level sex scenes because I'm not Colleen Hoover, but like (laughs) some good sex scenes, some perfectly good sex scenes Mm -hmm. uh, and a very healthy dose of feminism and uh, strong, brave ladies. What a moment to be talking to you when you're like, this is my favorite. You're not supposed to pick favorites of your books, but I would say favorite too. I mean, it's like they also say don't pick favorites of your kids, but I definitely have a favorite of them. I won't say it right now, but I do. And (laughs) this is my favorite novel too. I did. Look, I love all of the other books for different reasons, but this one is intensely personal. It's also loosely based on my own great great grandmother's murder in Sicily, which has become family lore and family mythology. And because we're Italian-American, we tell tall tales and lie and make up stories all the time. So that story has become completely changed as it's been passed down over the years. But I took a little seed of it and I used that. A woman left in Sicily alone a hundred years ago who was indeed murdered, perhaps murdered by the mafia for her land, perhaps murdered because she was a healer or maybe even a witch. Witch? Yeah, exactly. The Sicilian witchy thing. It's it's genetic, apparently. And that's all I knew when I created the novel. That's amazing. Did you resonate with being a Sicilian witch before the process of writing this book? I have to know. Yeah, no, I think I've always I've always known I was I was kind of Sicilian witchy. Yeah, but it definitely resonates a lot more now that I've written this book, especially so The fun thing is, again, the book is fiction. I created it. I didn't want to dig into the real story until it was finished. But then I became even more interested about the real story. And because I just can't stop making things, I decided to do a true crime podcast where I try to solve the actual murder. And we went back to Sicily this summer. And it turns out like a lot of the things that I wrote without knowing it are very similar to the real story. And that's kind of creepy because it feels like this is a story that just wanted to be told and I just happened to grab onto it. Do you see my face? I know. I know. My jaw is like down to the floor. You channeled the story. I think I channeled the story. Yeah, for the podcast, we're actually talking to a medium. We're talking to Marianne, the Long Island medium. And she told me that she thinks that she has already contacted my great-great-grandmother and she's going to tell us the real story. But when we were in Sicily this summer, my podcast producer, Kate from Kaleidoscope, was with me. And we discovered a lot of crazy shit. We haven't solved the murder yet, but we're definitely closer. I had no idea. That's amazing. Because it was really fun to follow your Sicily you know, follow you along on your summer travels and excitement for you and a little bit of like, <laughs> I go to Sicily. Sicily, nice. It's so nice. I mean, it really was like Instagram travel porn in such good ways and so exciting for you. But who knew that behind the scenes there was just all this flow of history coming to you? It's incredible. 
I love that you did it in that order. Obviously intentional. I didn't want to write the real story. I wanted to write a novel and I wanted to have fun with it and let it go where it wanted to go. But then at the same time, I feel like I would be doing my great great grandmother. Her name is Lorenza. Isn't that a great name? Beautiful. Um, Incredible. Yeah. I felt like I would be doing her a disservice if I didn't also try to find out her true story. I just feel lucky that I can do this as both a podcast and as a book and in both cases, immerse the readers and listeners in the world of Sicily, which is my favorite place in the world. And it's beautiful and broken. And it's still, I I was a travel editor. I have been to 45 countries. I met my husband in the Galapagos, which is ridiculous. And I can say Sicily is still one of those places where you really feel like you are a traveler. And it's gotten a lot more touristy since White Lotus, but you still feel like a traveler. I remember when we were there, we went on like a, a mission in some small town. There was like apparently a magical cannoli. I don't think that we got there but it's the kind of place that lends it to like yeah they're just like oh yeah well you have to go here because the magical cannoli is in this town and you're like of course it is let's go find that cannoli let's go find that cannoli yeah it's fun because there's so much we can do for the launch of Sicilian Inheritance too. So I'm about to go on a cannoli crawl through Philly to choose the official cannoli of the Sicilian Inheritance. Yeah, right? I mean, who doesn't want to go on a cannoli crawl with me through Philadelphia? Uh, And then for all of our events, we're going to do cannoli making and we're going to have Sicilian wine. And hopefully if the book does what I want it to do, we're going to do a massive Sicilian retreat next summer with a bunch of writers and readers and just blow it out. That sounds totally amazing. Oh, it's such a pulling of all the threads of your journey up to this point. It's really powerful. So I hear you when you say like, yeah, maybe you didn't evolve towards women intentionally, but like all roads have led to this moment where you are really building something powerful and personal. Yeah, I think so. And this is the kind of book that I want to continue writing. I'm a very fast writer and I have all of these other ideas welling up that are transportive novels that take you somewhere else in the world, but include brave, fearless women solving a mystery, going on an adventure. The next one that I'm working on is actually about Joe Van Gogh, Vincent Van Gogh's sister-in-law who inherited all of his worthless paintings and turned him into a household name. She is the branding genius behind Vincent Van Gogh. I mean, it will be a novel. It will be fictionalized, but that is the basis of the next one. So, Joe Van Gogh. I'm just picturing, like, I mean, that's going to be incredible. We're not in the prediction business in this life in general. I promise no crystal balls as a coach. But I will say I can see retreat in Sicily, not just for writers. It's like any person who is creative, which is everybody, who wants to have have an experience and have it pour out of themselves and have it be like shepherded by somebody who has really found their way to have all these threads come together. I can see that as a magical, enticing experience and I can't wait. That's the plan. I mean, we're just we're going to go on an actual adventure. Like a lot of writing retreats are real boring. Yeah. And that's not what we're going to do here. No. Oh, no. Mm -hmm. Oh, no. Mm -hmm. Joe Van Gogh, full juggernaut Joe Piazza right here. I know, I know. My friend Steven Steven Weinberg, who is a great artist and children's book author, he actually found this story for me when he was doing research for his next book, which is about the history and creation of color. And it's a children's but also adults book. And he's like, oh, my God. He's like, I just feel like this is your next book. And I was like, oh my gosh, yeah, you're totally right, Stephen. It absolutely is. Brilliant. Okay, talk to us a little bit, just like a little insider baseball on book, like in the promo and just like looping back around to that and the importance that it can have on the Sicilian inheritance before we point people on how to find it and pre-order and all that thing, which we'll put in the show notes. But like why the dual relationship with like, it's so hard to promote and they're like, yeah, no, it is. It is. But I also think this is a great lesson for anyone. And it's that you have to ask 
ask for what you want. Yep. And you have to be completely unafraid to put it out there and say exactly what you want. I want the Sicilian Inheritance to be an instant New York Times bestseller. And I want to get it in everyone's hands at the pool. Like I said, I adore Colleen Hoover's books. And when I was on spring break with my kids, every single human being at the pool had a Colleen Hoover book. And that's what I want for the Sicilian Inheritance. But it is hard. It's You feel like a sales monster. You feel like you do nothing but talk about this. But also, I genuinely believe you don't get what you want unless you put it out there and say what you want. So I am telling people I want you to pre-order now because I want you to join me on this awesome adventure. We're going to be doing live events. I refuse to do really boring bookstore events ever again. It's not going to happen. I am going to throw a party. If I come to your local bookstore, I'm throwing a party. Or we're doing it at a great Italian, hopefully Sicilian restaurant. Or we're going to do live under the influence events where we also sell Sicilian inheritances. This is going to be a crazy fun journey. And I've been writing books now for 12 years and I've written 12 books. And I feel like I know how to make this really fun for me and readers at this point. I would agree with that. You came to my book group, my distance book group, right? And like we still sometimes quote you like, I just want to read a story, man. I love your distance book group. We have to do it again for Sicilian Inheritance. Oh, we would love it. We would absolutely love for you to join us. And you know what? My grandmother always said, my grandmother had three rules and one of them was you don't ask, you don't get. And I think in the world of social media, you think you're asking a lot. You think you're talking about it constantly. And then you're just always going to have somebody be like, oh, this is the first time I'm hearing about it. So keep going. Exactly. I actually, I set a goal. This is fun. I set this goal for myself that between now and publication, which is April 2nd, I will be on 100 podcasts. Okay. And you're my first one. You were the first one that I'm doing. You are kicking off Joe Piazza's 100 podcast project. We are into it. You heard it here first. That is amazing. I'm excited. That is incredible. Oh, I'm excited for that. Well, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Tell the people where they can. I mean, we're going to put all the links in the show notes, the pre-order link, all the things. But tell us where you want people to follow along the party so they can cannoli crawl with you. Cannoli crawl. It's starting this week. I'm ready for it. We can post our pictures of Sicilian Inherit, whatever. Like Yes, post. Post them, post them. So the best place to find me remains Instagram, which is Joe Piazza author. And then the Substack under the influence and the podcast over the influence. And I'm not on whatever Twitter calls itself anymore, really. I haven't done the Xing or the tweeting in six months, maybe. Nice. Okay. I mean, it just, it doesn't feel like it exists to me anymore. It's been a theme of this season of this podcast, which is we will launch the second season in late June. And every guest has been like, I don't know what's happening over there, but we'll, we'll, I'm still there for now we'll see but i think you're right on that like complicated relationships it's a complicated relationship yeah i'm just kind of done with it and again to my earlier point about i think the conversations you're actually having about social media are not like you're being two-faced about or whatever the no it's your relationship with it and i think it's the grappling and the discernment that's the most important thing Okay. Exactly. I mean, I think it's grappling and discernment about everything in life. That's right. Yes. That's why your new life blend. Yes. That is why we're talking about a lot here. I could keep going. I could talk to you for ages and ages, Jill. Thank you for being here. We will put it all in the show notes. I cannot wait to pre-order the heck out of the Sicilian Inheritance. Yes. And the I can't wait to be back with your book club. I love your book club. So have them do the ordering and we can do the distance, but we can do cannoli making on the Zoom. I will let them know. Yeah. <laughs> I'll let them know. Thank yeah. you. So thanks for being here. And thanks, everyone, for listening. This has been your new life blend. I'm Shoshana Heck reminding you, as ever, to be gentle with yourself. 